Good morning, everybody. Would you guys stand up? Let's sing. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong Hey, good morning. Everybody glad to be here? Say yes. And uh, glad that you're here as well. New Year's Day, is it not? And uh, so fired up about what the Lord's going to do in 2012. And uh, actually going to preach about it next Sunday. 
So uh, this Sunday, I'm also going to preach. Are y'all all right? But uh, So I'm looking forward to that as well. We're going to finish up Philippians. But hey, listen, if you're visiting, we're so glad that you're here. We've got some very special friends uh, who were in town this week. One of my Ethiopian buddies, Jonathan Morrison, known as Jonathan in Ethiopia, is hanging out with us. Jonathan, raise your hand. He got a haircut. He's looking good this morning. And uh, he stayed for two years over in Ethiopia. Y'all welcome him. And uh, one of our primary contacts there. And then also the Douay family is here with us today. So Douay's, y'all slip your hands up. God bless you. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them coming. And then also, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, we're glad y'all are here. If you're visiting with us, when you came in, you got one of these little brochures. Inside the brochures, a little section we encourage all of our visitors to fill out. So if you'll fill that out and drop it in the offering plate at the end of our service, we would greatly appreciate it. We wanna pray for you, send you some information about our church family. But right now, we know it's New Year's and uh, I know many of you think you look great. So I want you to find three people you know you look better than and welcome them to church this morning, all right? is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest prey, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking down, all other ground is sinking We got a little bit more of that song to sing, but we still got people coming in. So if there's a seat near you, uh, don't just look at it. Um, slide to the left or slide to the right. Now, if we have to do that slide to the left song, we can. That'd be kind of cool, but um, everybody just slide towards the center. That would be good. Slide to the left. Slide to the left. Yeah, to the right, left, whatever your case may be. Slide to the center, that leaves the outsides open, and uh, that way Miss Betty May uh, can help direct and the ushers can help direct folks to seats. Uh, guys, there's uh, some more seats down front uh, as well. All right, you good? That's a lot better. Y'all are so cooperative. Thank you for starting the year off right. All right, here we go, second verse.
lot of neat things happening here at Concord and very, very excited when you came in your brochure. You guys go ahead and be seated if you don't mind. I'm going to talk here for just a moment, but I want to go ahead and let you know that the personnel team has uh, sought out a student pastor for our fellowship. And the In View of a Call weekend will be next weekend. His name is Brandon Roney. Very excited about him. He's got a phenomenal heart for ministry, phenomenal heart for students, and uh, is overwhelmingly already involved in so many areas of student ministry. So we are really blessed to have him come In View of a Call next weekend. So I want to invite you now with me to pray for Brandon. And uh, all the information that you need is in the brochure, so you can see that uh, now or later on when you uh, see fit. But we really do want to pray for he and his family and also our church body as we continue to add to the staff looking forward to what God has in store for the future. It's just going to be awesome. So we really want to seek the Lord during this time. So bow with me if you will. Father, I'm so thankful, uh, first of all, to even be called into ministry, to have an opportunity to do what you have really designed me to do. God, I just give you glory for that. And Father, I thank you as well that you, by your sovereign hand, you have a purpose for this fellowship uh, to reach out to this community and around the world to make disciples everywhere. And God, you have placed that upon our hearts. And Lord, we see that first of all through Scripture, but then we are reminded of that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, our student ministry uh, is in need of a leader. And God, I thank you that you have led the personnel team to Brandon Roney. What a phenomenal man he is, a man of God called by you, has his hand on you. And God, I'm just so grateful for that. But I want to pray next weekend, Lord, that you would supernaturally put your hand on our church family, that we would experience overwhelming synergy with one another. Here's a team here at Concord. As we seek to really find your heart in the matter and to add to this staff, uh, to this staff team, so that we can accomplish what you desire. And Father, I'm so overwhelmed and really flooded in my heart with um, what I feel you really have in store for us of the days ahead. So Lord, I just pray that you would prepare our minds to receive, prepare our hearts to listen, and then prepare our hands and feet to do. And so Lord, I'm going to seek that with all of my heart and trust that you're going to work in a phenomenal fashion. And now God, this morning, you know, we've come here to worship you, to hear from you. And Lord, we want to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. So I pray that you would continue to invade Uh, The premises continue to speak to hearts. And God, I know there are probably some people here today because they made a New Year's resolution, they're going to start going to church. And God, I'm glad they're here. But Lord, I pray that you would really speak to hearts, especially those who don't know you personally. Use your word today to draw them to salvation, to change their life, and to radically redirect 2012. And God, we'll give you glory for what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said...
do your office, my prayer. We'll allow the Lord to do a mighty work in us. I sing it. We don't want to do anything without you. There's none that I desire Oh, Father, we hunger and we thirst for you. Our soul pants for you, Lord.
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. say thank you for allowing us to worship you this morning, allowing us to come into this place as a body to praise your holy name and to sing how great you are. But Lord, I pray that this year we not only sing about it, but we are living examples of your mercy and of your grace. Pray that you would speak through Levi as he breaks your word of life now. We love you and we honor you. In your holy, holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you, James. Hey, you brought a Bible, say amen. And I'd invite you to open it with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish up the book of Philippians this Sunday. So very uh, sad to see it go, but excited at what God has in store in the days ahead. Philippians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 10. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, we'll read that together. And I'm going to read all these verses, so hang with me. Philippians 4 verse 10, the Bible says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word. It's inerrant and we pray today that you would plant it deep within our hearts, that it might bear fruit, fruit that would remain, that would glorify you. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. Give me unction from heaven to say that which you desire. And Lord, again, I pray, as always, that you would use your word to draw people to salvation this morning. 
do a great work, and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, and you can be seated. Well, Philippians 4 stretches our mind to consider the importance of unity within the body of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ flows through the unified local church, enabling her to make disciples everywhere. Like a five-member basketball team working together to move the ball up the court, a unified body of believers moves the gospel of the kingdom forward. Now, the enemy wants to disrupt unity in attempts to silence the gospel witness of the fellowship in the community and around the world. Therefore, we must always be on guard from the enemy's attack and be certain that we seek to live in harmony with the Lord. Paul, aware of the enemy's attack in Philippi, rebuked the two disagreeable women within the church and exhorted them to come back together in harmony with the Lord. Through their discord, we learn how to experience synergy. See, as a fellowship, we must find our joy in the Lord alone, not be hard to get along with, rest in conversation with the Lord, and reflect on that which builds teamwork within the body. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, now moves from the two disputing women in the beginning of chapter 4 to encourage the fellowship at Philippi. While these two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, were at odds with one another, their dispute was endangering the synergy that the local fellowship possessed. Now, we actually have the opportunity to see one of the great benefits of those who are working together as a local fellowship. So really, to kick us off this morning, we could ask the question, what happens when a fellowship experiences synergy? What happens when a fellowship experiences genuine biblical unity? Or we could even bring it right down to where we are here at Concord. What will occur in this body of believers as we work together in unity? Now, there are two major thoughts that I want to give you this morning, and here's the very first one. Here's what will happen if we work together in unity. We will experience a renewed passion to participate in God's kingdom work. We will experience a renewed passion to participate in God's kingdom work. Look in your Bible at verse 10 again. You got it there in front of you. Say amen. amen. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Paul speaks here specifically about the activity of a congregation. Remember, Paul's ministry was that of advancing the kingdom of God through gospel preaching and church planning. And by the way, look at your preacher real quick. Gospel preaching and church planning, that is a good model. We'll come back to that. He states that he's now rejoicing greatly. And the term greatly in the Greek New Testament is the word megalos. We get our English word mega from this. Paul has mega joy in this verse, but why? Well, he states that they have revived their concern for him. And the term revive literally means to grow up again. It gives the imagery of trees sprouting forth again in the springtime. Their care for the ministry of the gospel had blossomed into activity again. Now, what was their activity? Well, the activity was that of giving. They had the concern before, but they did not have the opportunity to give. You know, one commentator states, and I quote, they had been concerned, but they had lacked the opportunity to help. Many Christians today have the opportunities to help, but they lack the concern. Lord, help us to always be concerned 
with kingdom business. Now, in the context of the book of Philippians, we note that their participation in God's kingdom work was evidenced by one major word, and that word is generosity. They generously gave to God's kingdom work by helping supply Paul the Apostle's needs. So what happens to a fellowship that is unified in Christ? Well, they get involved in kingdom work. And listen to this, just a few words about generosity. When we get involved in kingdom work and we experience synergy as a body of believers, we will find that our generosity comes alive. While I was working on this message a couple of weeks uh, weeks ago, I was uh, struggling on how best to communicate what the Lord was teaching me. I even thought that perhaps I may be going in the wrong direction in the text. Uh, this is one of my great fears, by the way, just letting you know, uh, to deliver a message that was not in the text. Are y'all with me? So I labor hard at this. And while wrestling with this text of scripture, all of it, 10 through 23, someone sent me a text message out of the blue. And the text message read, when spiritual renewal happens, Kingdom generosity kicks in. You know, I about dropped my phone after reading the quote. So I responded, I'm literally writing a sermon on this right now for January the 1st. The response back, no coincidences with God. See, so the synergy of the fellowship at Philippi showed up in their renewed passion to financially support God's kingdom work. Now, before we start directing our attention to the comments of Paul the Apostle himself, I want us to follow the thread of generosity through this entire text, verses 10 through 23. Not only do we see generosity comes alive, but also their generosity proves the genuineness of their fellowship. Their generosity proves the genuineness of their fellowship. Look in your Bible at verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, you see the word share. You might want to circle that in your Bible in verse 14. In the middle of that word is the Greek word koinonia, which literally means fellowship. See, when the church at Philippi chose to give to Paul, they were showing that they were fellowshipping with Paul the apostle in the ministry of the gospel in church planning. But not just Paul. They were fellowshipping, the Bible says, with his affliction. That is, he was suffering persecution. He was imprisoned, and they were fellowshipping with him even in his affliction. Now, some of the people could have said at Philippi, and I'm sure, you know, if some of us were members of that church, we would have spoke up and said, wait a minute. Why are we going to give to Paul the apostle? He's in jail. What in the world? What can he do now? Uh, surely there's someone else we can give the gift to who's not in jail. You know, matter of fact, if we give it to Paul, the Roman government may come looking to put us in prison too. That was not their attitude. Why? Because they were unified together around God's kingdom work. Paul the apostle was involved in the kingdom work of God. And listen to this, and I'm not going to preach on this, but this is good stuff. By the sovereign hand of God, Paul was put in prison to continue to advance the gospel. See, a lot of times we look at our circumstances and say, well, this stinks. Listen, God put you there so the gospel can go forward. Some of you feel like your job is a prison. God has you there on purpose for the gospel. Y'all still with me? Say yes. I said I wasn't going to preach on that, but I did. God bless you. Paul, who's a member of Christ's body, was in need. So the members of Christ's body at Philippi responded to the need. Had they chosen to be stingy and not generous, it would have given evidence that they didn't care for Paul. In fact, it would have given evidence that they were not a church that was participating in God's kingdom work. So their generosity proved their love to Paul, a member of God's kingdom, and it proved their commitment to the gospel's advancement. Notice also their generosity produces fruit. 
Verse 17 in your Bible. Notice the thread of generosity through these texts. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Now, the word profit literally means fruit. Matthew Henry has stated, and I quote, I welcome your kindness. He's writing about this verse. He says, I welcome your kindness. Not because it adds to my enjoyments, but because it adds to your account. Warren Wearsby writes concerning the verse as well, and I quote, The Lord keeps the books and will never fail to pay one spiritual dividend. That church is poor that fails to share materially with others in the gospel. And listen, being generous towards God's kingdom work adds to your account before God. I'm going to say that again. I want that to sink in. Being generous toward God's kingdom work adds to your account before God. God keeps up with it. Now, how do I know this? Notice another reality about generosity. Their generosity pleases God. Verse 18, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Paul is saying, look, I have everything I need and then some. All of my needs are met. I got what you sent through Epaphroditus. And then verse 18 goes on, however, to describe the gift. He says, it is a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Listen to this. This is awesome. Paul the apostle equated their generosity toward him with the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. He says, your generosity is sweet-smelling to the Lord and also acceptable to him. Generosity is good to God. He is pleased with it, and he always remembers it, and it always rebounds to your spiritual account. Now, remember what we're talking about here. Uh, when we experience a renewed passion for God's kingdom work, generosity comes alive. Generosity proves the genuineness of our fellowship. Generosity produces fruit, and generosity pleases God. But then check this out. Generosity is backed by promise. Look in verse 19 of your Bible. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, this verse most often is applied to us as individuals. However, I think it is the entire church that Paul is speaking to here. No doubt, the Lord takes care of the individual Christian. However, this verse is in the context of a unified fellowship. He's saying, as your church is generous toward the ministry of the gospel, you can know that God will take care of your every need as a fellowship. You know, one commentator notes... This is not a promise that, we can that can be taken out of context and be applied to every human desire. In this context, it relates to Paul's provision for ministry. God will always supply those who are generous givers with more to give. This does not mean that they will have more for personal use, but more to give to gospel causes. Now, based upon what we've learned following this thread of generosity, let's note how it applies to us as a fellowship at Concord. When we experience true unity in Christ, we will find that we have a renewed passion for God's kingdom work. And I believe this has been occurring in our midst as a fellowship. As we look at the ministry budget of our fellowship, we're exceeding. As we look at the second mile campaign with the expansion of our facility to accommodate more disciple making, we are headed in the right direction. Concord's generosity is coming alive. Our generosity evidences genuine fellowship among the brethren and the cistern. That wasn't in the notes. Our generosity is producing fruit. 
Are y'all listening? Say yes. Our generosity is producing fruit. Think for just a moment about the 43 people who prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in December alone. God is working. So the Lord's producing fruit. The Lord's supplying our needs as a fellowship. That is a promise we can rest in. Look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. We can never get away from God's gospel and seeking to advance the kingdom of God. If we ever get away from the mission, we may as well close the doors and shut her down. We always got to do what God's called us to do. So we cannot fall asleep. We need to pray that this new year, 2012, we experience greater synergy than ever before. We need to ask that God would renew the passion of every member in Concord to participate in God's kingdom work. Generosity needs to be a core value of every single member within the fellowship at Concord. We must pray for it, we must express it, and we must trust God while doing it. Now, we shift gears a little bit, looking now at Paul's remarks concerning the gift which he had received from the church at Philippi. In his remark, we learn a phenomenal lesson. Listen, we not only need to have a renewed passion for God's kingdom work, but secondly, we need a settled satisfaction in God alone. We need a settled satisfaction in God alone. Paul didn't want his mega joy to be identified with the gift itself. So he writes in verse 11, Not that I speak from want. That is, not that I speak from great need or poverty. Verse 11 again, For I have learned the... Uh, I'm sorry, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. The idea for learned here speaks of being initiated. Are y'all with me say yes? I remember in college, there were a lot of people who were trying out for fraternities. And uh, basically in the context of fraternities, you had to be initiated into the group. I wasn't going to do it. Are y'all all right? I thought, good night. You got to go through all that to make some friends. That's ridiculous. All right. If you were in a fraternity, I apologize deeply. <laughs> Paul's like, I've been initiated, man. I've been initiated into the school of contentment. In other words, my joy and peace is not linked to my external circumstances. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. The word humble can also speak of the idea of being embarrassed. Paul is like, I've learned how to be content even in times of embarrassing poverty. As well, I've learned the art of being content in prosperity. But the way the lesson of contentment is learned in these two aspects of life, uh, they are Poor, they must be content. If they are rich, they must be content. And by the way, you know you have a problem with contentment if you find yourself always wanting to have more stuff. So you buy one thing and all of a sudden you are on the hunt for something else. You've got a problem, man. As well, you know you have a problem with contentment if you're always comparing your situation with others. So you visit somebody's home and immediately begin to say, I wish I had that, or I don't have that, or I need that. Well, this could go so far as seeing what others are wearing. And you say, well, I wish I had that dress. That's what the ladies would say, not the men. <laughs> but we compare everything. And Paul's like, I've learned a secret of having a full belly and having an empty stomach. You know, the Lord challenged me this, this week on this particular idea of contentment. You know when it happened? When I was driving past a whole bunch of vehicles that were for sale. Are y'all listening? Say yes. 
Y'all know that Ford 500 I drive, which is basically a Taurus with a cool name. <laughs> and everybody who drives it, no offense, but they're here. I was going to say gray. Mine's gray too. God bless me. I thought I was slick when I left. But anyway, I saw all these trucks. Started thinking, I need a truck. I live in Lula, Georgia. I need a truck. I need a gun. I need some camo. Woo! I need to learn to be content. That's what I need to learn. I've moved into Lula. I got to be sure Lula don't move into me. That was funny. <laughs> now, in preparation for this message, I was, uh, you know, praying and researching and finding a bunch of stuff, and I ran across one of these books I read a long time ago, which is on my shelf, and I love this book. It's called uh, The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. And in the book, he's got a whole chapter on contentment, and I just want to pull a couple of paragraphs. I want you to listen to what uh, this man of God says. He says, contentment is one of the most distinguishing traits of the godly person because a godly person has his heart focused on God rather than, than on possessions or position or power. As William Hendricks has observed so well, the truly godly person is not interested in becoming rich. He possesses inner resources which furnish riches far beyond that which earth can offer. And here's another paragraph which I just love. I could have just read the whole chapter, but... Listen, the idea of contentment in the Bible is most often associated with possessions or money. But there are other areas of life in which we need to be content. After possessions, probably the most common need is to learn contentment with our place in society or in the body of Christ. Still, a third area that demands our practice of contentment is the providence of God in such varied circumstances as physical limitations, afflictions, unpleasant neighbors or living situations, trials, and even persecutions. These circumstances often cause the natural man to murmur and complain and to question the goodness of God in his life. Man, how we need contentment. Now please notice the context of what Paul is talking about. It's obviously contentment. It is joy and peace regardless of external circumstances. So what's the secret of contentment? Anybody want to know that? If you want to know that, say yes. What is the secret? How can I be content? Well, the secret's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying that his ability to remain content in any circumstances rests in the strength which Jesus provides him. Now, I've seen this verse tattooed on ball players and quoted in many huddles. When it's used in this context, most of them are saying, I can win this ball game through Jesus who strengthens me. Now, no doubt God gives you strength to just walk and talk. So if you win, it would be because God gave you the strength. However, when this verse is applied to a ball player properly, it would literally mean no matter if I win or lose, God gives me strength in Christ to be content with the outcome. That's what the Bible says. Now, that's what Paul is saying. No matter if I'm poor, no matter if I'm prosperous, God gives me strength to be content no matter what. In the same way in this chapter we said that God will give us his peace, here we see that the Lord Jesus will give us his contentment. And look, the Lord Jesus is not discontent. His complete inner satisfaction can be ours when we seek him alone. 
Paul settled satisfaction in life was not with having much or having little. Rather, his settled satisfaction was in God alone. So let me ask you a question. Be for real for just a second, all right? Are you content with your life? So like, not me, man, I'm broke. Are you content with your life? Not me, my home life stinks. That's the reason for your discontentment. You're searching for satisfaction in the wrong place. It only comes through an ongoing, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Contentment is not found in our accumulation of things, but in our access to Jesus' strength in any circumstance. And listen, whenever we as a fellowship experience synergy, we really do. We have this driving passion to be involved in God's kingdom work, and it shows up in our generosity. Our hands are wide open to God's kingdom and what he desires to do. So we're generous to that. And then when we're generous to that, we really are finding our satisfaction and contentment in Jesus alone. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Look at my hands. Watch this. When we live this way, we're content in Jesus. But when we live this way, we're trying to find contentment in stuff and we never find it stingy we hold our hands and God says no 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 y'all get unified and when you get unified as a fellowship and, and I want you to check this out are y'all with me say yes this is just a cool picture the whole fellowship here is one body listen like could you imagine if our hands we only got two of them but let's just say our hands as a body just went up to the Lord like this and said, Lord, we are generous and find contentment in you alone. Whatever you desire, whatever it takes to reach people, that's what we're going to do. You know what God will do? He will so ignite this fellowship. I, I think it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said to a young preacher one time, you get on fire for God and people will come watch you burn. Here's what I believe, though. I would go a step further. If the church gets on fire, the whole body, it's not just about a preacher, the whole body gets on fire, there's no telling what will liable to happen. <laughs> Open hands for the kingdom. Closed hands, trying to find satisfaction and other things besides Jesus. So 2012, hey, church, look at the preacher. Eyeball to eyeball. Let's live like this. By the way, do this for me. Y'all with me say yes? I, I stole this from Adrian Rogers. Though he's dead, he still preaches. Everybody take your hand and clench it real hard like a fist. Do it real hard. Seriously, heart attack. Look at me. I ain't going further until you clench your fist. God bless you. You see it there? Y'all don't punch anybody. Now do this right here. Which is easier? <sighs> Open hands much easier than clench fist. Let's live that way in unity. Amen? Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word this morning.